Sometimes the battle is tough. Sometimes the foe is formidable. As David walked into the valley of Elah to face the giant Goliath, he faced an enemy that was seemingly more difficult to encounter than he had the ability to fight. And yet God was with David and David was able to conquer and David was able to win. This morning I want to talk to you again about a lesson in our series in the Valley of Elah and the battles that you and I will face in our lives. And I want to talk about the battle of worldliness. And in order to do that, I'd like for you to keep your Bibles open to the book of John and particularly to chapters 13 through 16 as you and I will explore this battle against worldliness, particularly as we look at John 16, verse 33. Here's the events that are the background. The disciples have gathered with Jesus in the upper room in Jerusalem. There's a number of things that are going on. There are a number of events that are taking place. It's the Passover that's being celebrated. That in and of itself was a momentous event, remembering God's deliverance by the means of the death of the firstborn. There was so much involved. The lamb, the Passover lamb that was to be sacrificed. So much meaning in that and as they celebrated that feast, that meal, and that memory, Jesus used that opportunity to establish what we just participated in just a few moments ago, the Lord's Supper. At that event, Jesus needed to teach the disciples a very important lesson, a very important example of being humble, and so he washed the disciples' feet. It was during this period of time that the Lord announced his departure. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. And this brought about a real disturbance on the part of those men who had served him. And he is struggling. They're struggling. He's struggling with the sorrow that's involved in all of this. Perhaps one of the greatest difficulties is he looks out and every one of those men who he had served with were going to deny him before the morning came. He tried to reassure these confused and disturbed men by telling them that he wouldn't leave them as orphans. John 14 verse 26. I'm going to send you another, even the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to guide them and provide them that kind of encouragement that they would need it. But the Lord made a very important point to them, particularly as you get to chapter 16 and even into chapter 17. You're going to be hated of all men for my name's sake. People are going to react to you not positively, but negatively. You're going to have to love one another. In fact, that's the commandment that he gave them. And you can say, what does all that have to do with the battle against worldliness? John 16 and verse 23 provides encouragement for those men as they would face worldliness. And you and I need that same kind of encouragement because after we leave this building and we go out to our homes, 
we go to our places of employment, as we go to our places of interaction with the people of the world, we're going to find ourselves encountering worldliness and we can conquer and we can win. Here's what I want to do as we study through this passage. There are three points that are clearly revealed in verse 33 of John 16. Jesus will talk about the peace that he will give. He will talk about the problems or the tribulations that the world will bring. And then he promises that they will prevail if they will do as he did, as he overcame this world. Let's begin by looking at, first of all, the idea of peace. Look with me at verse 33 again. This is going to be a focus verse for us throughout this lesson. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you may have peace. And you, when you start thinking about peace, there's more than one kind of it. There's the kind of peace that Jesus brings, and then there's the kind of peace that the world offers. In fact, in this very context, I mentioned to you chapters 13 through 16. You go back to chapter 14 and verse 27, and Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. I'm going to give you a peace and the world's going to offer you a peace. But there's so much difference between the two of them. For instance, the world's peace is only offered if you agree with it. If you say to the world, what you are doing conflicts with the will of God and I will not participate, then the world will not give you any peace at all. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, he says, They think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. When we won't do the things they do, if you go and maybe, for instance, in your business, you're to have a dinner somewhere, and everybody that's setting your table orders some sort of mixed drink, alcoholic drink, and you say, I'll believe I'll take water or I'll take some soft drink, people look, what's wrong with you? What's odd about that? In John 15, verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you, love its own. You are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. When you and I do things differently, when we have a different pattern of life, the worldly people will look at us with disdain, with hate, and say, I don't want you. You see, as David was with the armies of Israel on one side of the valley of Elah, and the Philistines were on the other side of the valley, and as Goliath came in there and challenged the children of Israel to come down, all the children of Israel had to do was say, we give up, we surrender, and there would have been peace between the Israelites and the Philistines. But you see, that couldn't take place. The Israelites would have been slaves to the Philistines. The Israelites would have been abused by the Philistines. There's some battles that a person has to fight. And this is one of them. Oh, but you, Jesus says, I've spoken these things unto you, that in me you might have peace. And 
He is that Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 9 and verse 6, He is called, the very last three words of verse 6 says, the Prince of Peace. But how is it that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? What is it that He did that brought peace? You see, He was able to take two races of people, Jew and Gentile, and he was able to take both of those two and create a peace between them. For instance, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, and so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Oh, you had a Jew that used to hate the Gentile, and a Gentile who used to look down and despise the Jew, and now they worship together in a congregation serving the Lord. More importantly, though, is the peace that one has with God. You see, the truth is, is that you and I, as we are rebellious to God, we make ourselves an enemy to God. And when Jesus came, he removed that barrier between us to make peace. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you mean that God... Now is that peace with us? Yes. How? Because Jesus removed the barrier of sin that existed between us. What that did was result in our having an inner peace. That's one where you and I can be persecuted, imprisoned, we can be mistreated, we can be spoken against, and yet we can say everything's fine. In the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious in nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. That means that you and I can have an inner peace. And when Jesus said, this peace I am going to leave with you, it's one that says... Come what may, do whatever you will to me, I still am at peace with God. Paul demonstrated that in himself so many times. You think for just a moment of his imprisonment at Philippi, the ones to whom he wrote this, how he'd been beaten and thrown in prison and yet still at midnight he could be singing praises to God. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. What this means is is that these men would be doing what you and I should be doing, and that is carrying a message of peace to the world. Romans chapter 10, verse 15, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Preach the gospel of peace. We preach a peace that says, I will not mistreat my fellow man. That's important. 
There's a piece that says we can all be one in Christ. That's extremely important. We can have a peace with God because of the blood shed by Jesus Christ. That's essential. And then we will enjoy that inner peace from that. Number two, in this world you have tribulation. The word tribulation, defined by the lexicon, means that which inflicts distress. I know some of you are struggling with various things in your life. Some of you are struggling with diseases, illnesses, injuries that make you feel distressed. Some of you are having conflicts in your family. And there are people there who are making life difficult for you. And that inflicts distress. And there's some who are trying to do the right thing in this world. And they're being maligned and mistreated by others. And that also brings distress. And in John 16 verse 33 going back there. He says in the world you will have tribulation. It's a recognition of what you're going to face. But the context, John 13 through 16, reveals the kind of tribulation they're going to face. For just a few minutes, I'm going to just take you through some segments, some portions of passages. If you go first of all, chapter 15, verse 18, you'll see some of the things that they were going to encounter If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know him who sent me. Pause for just a moment there. Why will these people persecute? They don't know God. Oh, well, they claim to know God. I'm amazed every day when people in the political realm and in the public realm will say, oh, I'm a Christian. I worship God like you do. But I'm going to support some ungodly practice. I'm going to promote abortion. I'm going to promote homosexuality. I'm going to promote transgenderism. I'm going to promote alcohol. I'm going to promote gambling. Oh, Jesus said they don't know me. Verse 23, he who hates me hates my father also. Oh, you mean these people, it's not really you that they hate. It's not really me that they hate. They don't like what God has said. And they ignore it. Verse 25, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written, they hated me without a cause. But you go to chapter 16 now and you get to verses 1 through 6. And the Lord even focuses a little more specifically about what they're going to do to them and why. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. 
Now you can pause there if you want to for just a moment. If I know in advance that people are going to mistreat me because of my love for God and my love for His Word and doing what He says, that'll help me not be overwhelmed by this. And oh yes, we will be overwhelmed sometimes if we're not careful. If you walk out and you don't know that that giant is huge and you don't know the power that he has, but you've got to remember who's with you. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things that I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me where you are going because I have said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Put yourself in the position of these men serving the Lord. They've been with him. They've, they've served with him. Now he says, I'm going to leave you. Not only am I going to leave you, I'm going to leave you with a world of tribulation. There's sadness there. Oh, but don't end there. You get to the end of the chapter. Chapter 20, verse 22. I want you to notice the Lord's encouragement here for them. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but recognize it only lasts for a little time. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Verse 21, he's going to use a, an illustration that I guess every father in here perhaps has witnessed. That is, you go in when your wife is about to deliver a baby and uh, you women who have delivered these babies, you know exactly what, the anguish, the pain that you're enduring during that childbirth. But immediately after the child is born, that mother takes that baby in arm and all the pain is immediately forgotten. There's a smile on the face. That beautiful little baby that's verse 21. Verse 22, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Oh, what a beautiful picture. Yes, you're going to endure tribulation, but Jesus said, don't worry, it's going to work out okay. Christians have to expect problems to be created by the world. In Acts 14, verse 22, Paul was preaching and he says, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. It's tough, the world in which you and I live. Acts 20, verses 22 through 24, Paul reflected upon his traveling from city to city and he says, The Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. There's going to be tough times, Paul. Problems are not always, difficulties are not always bad. Persecutions are not always bad. Really? Oh, they can make us stronger. In Romans 5 and verse 3, 
He says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. You see, after David walked into the valley of Elah and he faced Goliath and he slew Goliath, you know what David knew? There's nobody any bigger than him and I can face anything I have to face. You stand up against sin and you conquer against sin, then you have a a sense of perseverance that you've been encouraged. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 4 says that your persecutions and your tribulations that you endure... He says it produces patience in you. Let me tell you something else it does. Every time the world decides it wants to create problems for Christians, it backfires. In Acts chapter 8, there's the persecution that begins in Jerusalem. And it says they were all scattered throughout the Regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Oh, we got rid of them. No, you didn't. Acts 8 verse 4 says, Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Sometimes the tribulations that you and I endure in this world are good because they make us better. Sometimes they're good because it drives us out in carrying the gospel. But the last part to me is really where the the thrilling part is. John 16, verse 23. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. What does the word good cheer mean to you? I know what I think of whenever I hear the word cheer. I think of cheerleader. Rah, rah, rah. Go, go, go. Not too far off from this word. You see, the lexicon defines this word as to be firm or resolute in the face of danger or adverse circumstances, to be enheartened, to be courageous. In other words, what Jesus is saying Be of good cheer, be of courage, be firm, be strong. It is a cheer. One that says you can fight, you can win, you can prevail. In Hebrews 13 verse 6, the word that's of that same word family is translated boldly. So we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is the word that says, God is behind me. That's exactly what David thought when he went into the valley of Elah. God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear shall deliver me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. Oh, you see, be of good cheer. We need courage to prevail. We need to be able to have that fortitude that says, I can face the world. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be of good, strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Psalm 27, 14, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world.
The word overcome, according to the lexicon, means to win in the face of obstacles. To be the victor. To overcome. To prevail. Folks, this is God winning. And us winning because we are with God. In Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yes, you can face evil and win and overcome it. I almost decided to take this lesson in a little different direction. To go to the book of Revelation and to look at the Lord's letter to seven churches. You see, it wasn't the revelation of John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ that John recorded. The letters in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are the Lord writing to individual churches and seven times to seven churches he talks about overcoming and winning. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. He says, He who overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. He who overcomes, I will give him to eat of the hidden manna. He says, He that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, I will give power over the nations. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from God. And I will write on him my new name. Finally, verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. To each of those churches that are facing trials and tribulations and difficulties, what does he say? You can overcome. As powerful as that is. Oh, when you get further in the book of Revelation to chapter 12, he gives you a picture there of what is going on. And I'd love to study Roman, or Revelation chapter 12 with you. The picture there is there's going to be a great battle. A battle in heaven, Michael and his angels against the devil and his angels. And it says war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail when those there found any place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the world and he was cast down to the earth and the angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ come. For the accuser of our brethren who has accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Here's people who were standing with God and they said, we don't love our lives even to the point of death. We're going to stand with Him. We're going to stand with God. And you know what? God prevailed. Chapter 17, verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Oh yes, the Lord does overcome. Now just a minute or two.
some precious principles to be derived from this. Our battle against the world. When we start talking about battling the world, we're not talking about hating our neighbor. We're not talking about the people out here that we're supposed to love. We're talking about worldliness. John 4, or James 4, verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The world, according to 1 John 5, 19, is under the sway of the wicked one. We can't make friends with worldliness. Let me tell you the way the world battles with us. You see, there's so much involved in battle. A lot of it's things like propaganda. Trying to make you feel like you can't win. You know what Goliath did? He taunted the children of Israel. You can't win. You can't survive. You can't beat me. And then sometimes they try to allure you with saying, Oh, just look what you can have if you'll come to my side. In 2 Peter 2, 18 and 19, he said, For they speak great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, those who have actually escaped from error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the slaves of corruption. Oh, the world provides propaganda. Oh, you want joy? You want freedom? Come over to our side and then what you'll find is really bondage. Second thing that you'll find the world's methods involve persecution. Make life difficult for you. I could spend a lot of time in First Peter chapter 4. He talks about these people who they speak against you as evildoers. I don't have time to deal with that. John 17 verses 14 through 18. Jesus is in the middle of his prayer. He's praying for his apostles. He said in verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. We can't leave this world in the sense that we can escape, but you and I can be faithful to God in this world. And then the third way that the devil and the world tries to defeat us is through the offering of pleasure. Matthew 16, 26 asks the question, what would a man be gained if he would gain the whole world and lose his own soul. That's the way the devil tried to trap Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Showed him all the kings of the world says, I'll give these to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Hebrews 11.25 talks about Moses, how he chose to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Oh, there's just so much more that could be said. Why not reject the world and battle for your soul? Do you really understand that that is what is at stake? When the Philistines were on one side and the children of Israel on the other and the taunting was going back and forth, it was not just a battle between two nations. It's a battle between right and wrong, good and evil, God's people versus the devil's people. And you're battling for your own soul. And rather than letting the world conquer you, you stand strong. Romans 12 verse 2 says, 
not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. If you will, take your song books out now. Let's prepare to sing this invitation song. I know in our audience we must have folks who need to obey the gospel. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith, and be baptized, the Lord will remit, forgive your sins, Acts 2 verse 38, and then he will add you to his church, the body of Christ, Acts chapter 2 verse 47. What a wonderful thing to say, I have now enlisted in the Lord's army, I'm going to serve on his side, and I'm going to battle, and I'm going to win this battle for worldliness, because the Lord said, I've overcome the world. If you're a Christian and you've gone AWOL, you've been out on the side, you quit fighting, you've decided, I'm just going to go back into the world, and now you recognize, hey, that was a big mistake. I need to be restored to faithfulness. Why not come home? While together we stand and say.